Well, good evening, everybody. Hope that you are doing well. Welcome to Grace Moments Live with Pastor Rich. Uh, it's absolutely beautiful outside. So the fact that you're inside or maybe you're on a back patio or a porch or sitting outside, even though we've got some Scottish-like winds to keep us humble, uh, hope everybody is doing well and staying safe today. Um, we begin with the quote from Frederick Buechner that we've been using kind of as a gathering point, listen to your life, see it for the fathomless mystery that it is, and the boredom and the pain of it is just as much in the excitement and the gladness of it. Touch, taste, smell your way to the holy and hidden part of it, because in the end, all moments are key moments, and that life itself is grace. That is so true that life itself is grace. Every moment that we get to savor is a gift from God, and it's always a surprise. Uh, God's grace is always something that sneaks up on us and enables us to be able to um, be humbled as we experience what God's doing in the world. Hey, uh, this is meant to be interactive. We've got the chat feature open. We've got the Q&A open. We'd love to take your questions towards the end. No guests today, just Rich today. And um, I, I wanted to talk with you about something that um, and I love to bring up topics that not necessarily people are willing to bring up. But I want to tell you kind of a topic that comes up in a lot of the conversations that I'm having right now. So as I call and I check up, in, check up on people and check in with people, you know, one of the more surprising answers is, you know what, I'm really happy right now. And then people immediately back up and feel bad about uh, even saying that, that everybody knows we're going through a, a horrible, challenging, uh, even grief-stricken time. And so certainly, let me explain what I think people mean by that. One of the things that they don't mean by that is that they think that this disease is good. Nobody thinks that. Um, nor do they, does anybody want to minimize the many challenges that so many people are going through, not just in America, but around the world in terms of the financial and economic um, and real impact. And that's why at Peachtree, we're so engaged with our jobs initiative and food security, because we know that this is a time of compassion. And maybe you saw the news just you know in the last day or so of the jobs numbers. It's absolutely frightening how many people are being impacted by this economically. So what's interesting is that in spite of all of that that's going on, if you or a loved one are not sick, um, if you're not stricken with grief, um, if, you're, if you're not impacted in your job by this, here's what's really interesting. You've been asked to stay at home and to shelter in place and to do all these things, and you're surprised by how happy you might be. And I don't think we ought to shy away from that. So we're going to set aside today for the purpose of today, recognizing the, the incredible hardships and the need for compassion in a moment like this. But I want to kind of try to unpack the riddle of why someone might be happier now than they were the way that they were living their life before. And to do that, I want to start by talking about one of my wife's favorite magazines. So there was a time early on in our marriage where magazine subscriptions in our household were doing this. We were kind of systematically getting rid of magazines. Everything was migrating to online, but there was one magazine that Kelly always wanted to subscribe to. Now, now that we've moved to the South, it's Garden and Gun is also something that we have to subscribe to because that's apparently required reading here in the South. 
But the one that she always clung to, even as I was like, let's let that one go, let's let that one go, is there was this magazine called Real Simple that had the tagline, Life Made Easier. And what was interesting about this magazine was that it wasn't trying to add anything to her life. It was actually trying to help her as the target audience and as the reader to take already what was a very full life and help to bring sanity and simplicity and clarity out of what she was already experiencing. And so at a time when a lot of other magazines would just sit and you know get unread, she would pour through this magazine and get tips and tricks and hacks and ideas that would make her life better. It would make her life easier it made her life happier. And so she would hang on to this magazine. It wasn't trying to add something to her life. It was trying to share her life in a whole new light. And so one of the things that this magazine promised is what I think a lot of people are experiencing as we go through this, which is the radical simplification of your life right now. So if your life had this much stuff in it before, all of a sudden, because of what we had to go through, your life has this much. There's only so many things you can do when the stores are closed and the movie theaters are closed. Um, it's just that whether it's recreation or hobby or work or school or whatever it is, there's a radical simplification that's happened. And as a result of that, people are experiencing an increase in their joy. So I wanna take you on a little scientific tour. There's a thing called, you might recall this from school and it's the second law of thermodynamics. So this is from physics. And this is true that everything according to the entropy theory goes from ordered to chaos. In other words, if you were to take a tray of marbles and you were to organize the tray of marbles in a circle, you would put that in the circle down and you were to shake the tray of marbles, it wouldn't all of a sudden become something more complicated and design like a star when you set the tray back down. No, it would just be a jumbled mess of, of you know, marbles everywhere. So unless you specifically put energy physically into the system, everything goes towards chaos. Well, that second law of thermodynamics applies to every aspect of our lives. Your desk at your house goes from order to chaos if you don't clean it. Your kitchen goes from order to chaos. Your closet goes from order to chaos. Every part of our lives, unless we put intentionality and energy into it, gets messier and more complicated. So one of the things that we've got to do is to figure out how to simplify our life, how to pull all the different complications and to pull all of it together into a greater coherence. And yet society, particularly before the advent of COVID, was a grand conspiracy to try to get us to live a complicated life. There's a guy by the name of Barry Schwartz, who's a social scientist. And this was a couple of decades ago when he decided that he needed to go get a pair of jeans. And he hadn't bought, in full disclosure, a pair of jeans for a couple of decades. So he goes into a store and the, as he goes into the store, he's thinking, I'm just gonna buy a regular pair of blue jeans because I bought a regular pair of blue jeans before, but all of a sudden you've got all these different cuts, all these different shapes, all these different materials 
there were literally hundreds of combinations of different genes that he could buy. And he got so paralyzed by all the choices, he walked out without having bought any genes and he was shaking his head and he was asking himself, hey, whatever happened to regular genes? There were all these choices now that didn't seem to exist before. When we brought one of our ministry partners, Fidelis, from the country of Malawi, and he came to the United States, he, we took him to the Georgia Aquarium as a church. We took him to all kinds of different things to get to see in, in, you know, in Georgia that are amazing things to get to think. You would think things that would blow his brain. Do you know what really shocked Fidelis more than anything else? What shocked Fidelis more than anything else was walking into a typical grocery store. The typical grocery store in the United States has over 30,000 items in it. And from someone who comes from Malawi, looking at all of that, he walked into a typical American grocery store and he's like, this must be the biggest and greatest store in all of the country. And he had to say, Fidelis, this, this is what a typical grocery store looks like in our country. Last stat I read on grocery stores said that they introduced 20,000 new products to grocery stores every single year. And some fall out of grocery stores and some come in new to grocery stores. And that one of the things that they've discovered is that the cereal aisle, which is the most important aisle in a grocery store, is the cereal aisle. I eat at least one bowl of cereal every single day because it's somewhere in the book of Leviticus that God says you're supposed to do that. This is pared down for me because my mom says, shout out to my mom for Mother's Day, that I used to eat five or six bowls of cereal a day when I was a kid. So, you know, I'm older and my metabolism isn't as high. I can't do that as much as I used to. And so on the cereal aisle, they've hit perfect saturation that they can't fit any more room on the cereal aisle. They're not making the cereal aisle any bigger. And that things have gotten so confusing on the cereal aisle that they don't introduce a new cereal anymore on the cereal aisle. They just introduce a variation on a theme of a cereal that you already know. Because it's so complicated on the cereal aisle, if they put a brand new cereal in there, nobody's gonna buy it. But if it's uh, Kellogg's product and it's related to Circle K, you know, you know, I think that's one of the things about, um, you know, just that we've gotten so complicated that what ends up happening is what's known as decision paralysis. And whether you're consciously aware of this or not, there's a cost to all of this in society. Um, again, let me give you one other example before I move on. So um, you go to Starbucks, have you ever tried to do the math on how many different ways you can order a beverage in a Starbucks? Well, somebody's actually done the work on that. You can order a beverage over 20,000 different ways at a Starbucks, 20 different, 20,000 different kinds of a beverage with a pump of this or a twist of that, or, um, I mean, it's just mind blowing the different ways that you can order a beverage. You go back a couple of generations to, you know, a grandparent and said, Hey, would you like to have a cup of coffee? That was the kind of thing that, um, that was the kind of thing that you would order at a diner and you had a couple of choices. You had milk or cream and you had sugar. And that was it. You only had a couple of choices when it came to a cup of coffee. And I don't want to go back to the time pre-Starbucks because I think having a really good cup of coffee is a wonderful gift. But there is a point where it gets a little out of control. And the part that's out of control is the impact 
on our psyche. So there's a behavioral economist. So what does this really mean for our lives? There's a behavioral economist by the name of Dan Ariely, who says that we have an irrational impulse to chase worthless options. We have an irrational impulse to chase worthless options. And in doing this, we don't realize that there's a cost to keeping all of our options open. There's a cost to our emotions, our spirits, our souls, to having all of these different choices. They've done study after study after study in the social sciences. The happiest people in American society fall into one of three categories, conservative Christian, conservative Muslim, and conservative Jew. And this makes you know, social scientists scratch their heads as to why would a stricter, more religious person and kind of subculture be happier than what we assume in America is like, the more choices you have, the better. No, the reality is what the social scientists have taught us is, is that some choice is good, but more choice isn't necessarily better. That there's a difference between choice and between freedom. And sometimes choices can debilitate instead of liberate. And so you think of our society and the way that we were living our lives, the breakneck speed and all the busyness and all the choices and all the things that we do. And all of a sudden there's this grand, huge experiment that goes on with this disease. Again, setting aside some of the hardships and things that we need to acknowledge. But for a person who hasn't been afflicted with those things, all of a sudden what you've experienced is a radical simplification of your life. And there's a part of you at least you admit to me offline that you're happier now than you were before because the cost to the way that we were living our lives before had a couple of things like one the emotional cost uh continued rise in anxiety and depression and stress and regret in our society there was a spiritual cost um, all of the surveys point to rising levels of skepticism as well as self-absorption of, of people today. And also the fact that, you know, that there's this increased level in two things. And, and it's fascinating to think of these two things going together of both compulsiveness and impulsiveness all at the same time. Let me give you an example of that. We don't even know what we want. When you survey somebody about what kind of thing they want in a car, they say they want three things. I want reliability, I want efficiency, and I want value or kind of affordability in it. That's what everybody says they want in a car. And then they go and they buy a car and they buy a car that is anything but reliable, efficient, and valuable. They have an impulse purchase and they buy a car that they know isn't reliable because of the surveys. Uh, they know that it's not efficient, but it's what it's what they want. So we have this pendulum swinging in the way that we've typically lived our lives of compulsiveness and impulsiveness. To which Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. For you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light.
Jesus said that at a time when there was an incredibly complex system of laws. And he says, if you take my teaching, my yoke, that was the symbolism of that, and you put that on your shoulders, on your life, you will actually find rest for your souls. It is the secret of unburdening your life. The secret of the easy yoke, as Dallas Willard used to call it. So how can we do that? How can we, how can we get that secret easy yoke? How can we, as we start to reopen society and get back to normalcy, what are some things that we can do? What can we learn about what we've been through together? One is, is that we can prioritize. I learned of a church one time that said that a congregation was struggling with burning out some of its volunteers. And so they got all their leaders together and they put them in a room and they put, um, they had people write down on a sticky note, all the different ministries, each ministry you were involved with was a sticky note and they put them up on the walls and they told people, okay, we now have a two sticky rule in our church that you can't be involved in more than two things because more activity does not necessarily equal more spiritual growth. And so people had to pull stickies off of the wall to say, I'm not going to be involved in that. I'm not going to be involved in that. I wonder if you would consider doing that as an exercise on your own wall at home is to write down all the different activities you're involved in. And maybe it's not two, maybe it's three. I don't know, whatever it is that you feel like these are the things that I want to invest in and say, I'm going to, I'm going to invest in these kinds of things. And so I'm going to prioritize. I'm going to prioritize time with my family. I'm going to prioritize relationships. I'll, I'll give you an example of this for Kelly and me. So Kelly and I set as a goal as we were marching into the fall. So around August timeframe, we said, you know what, one of the things we want to do, we want to play nine holes of golf together, just the two of us, or just as adults, we want to, it's okay if we get paired up with somebody else, but not family golf, but just couple golf. We want to do that once a week, nine holes of golf. Do you know how many times we did that? One time. And the reason for that was not a lack of desire. It was a, a misappropriation of priorities. It never made it to the top of the priority list. And so one of the things that that does is it leads me from point one to point two. If you want to keep some of the happiness of what we've learned in going through the season, one, you got to prioritize. The second thing you got to do is you got to slow down. It's going to be really easy to ramp back up to the busier time that we were in before. And so we've got to be willing to slow down. If, if you got to hear the great interview that I, I got to do with uh, Ken Boa, when in this just phrase echoes around in my soul, he says, because, you know, when, it, when you're in Israel, they're yelling Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom, every time that they have their Sabbath. And Shabbat means stop, or it's where we get the word Sabbath, and Shalom means peace. And Ken Boa says, there is no Shalom without Shabbat. There will be no peace without the stopping, without the slowing down. So you got to prioritize, you got to slow down. And then the third thing I think you got to do is you got to figure out how to savor. You got to be able to figure out how to savor. Because we're going so fast, because we have lost our sense of priorities, one of the things that we forget to do is to savor what we do have. We're so obsessed with trying to get what we don't have that we are unable to be grateful for what we do have. 
And so when all of a sudden you spent time in your home and you got to savor the relationships you do have, the things that you do have, uh, people began to see what they had in a whole new different line. And so one of the things that I would hope for us is, is that we would begin the process of as we get back to a busier life, as we get back to a um, more normal, if you will, which is going to be a ramp up. I don't want us to lose what we've learned. I don't want people to feel guilty for discovering certain joys that came to them when they came through the season. You don't have to carry around um, the survivor's guilt of not being sick. That's a blessing. Doesn't mean we don't pray for people who are sick and to care for those who have been injured by what we're going through. But I also think it's important for us to learn from even the positives of what we have as a society has, have had to go through. And so I don't want us to lose some of that. So anyhow, I'm going to pause right there from comments and would love for you to throw some questions in the Q&A. And I'm going to even be able to talk about some of the comments here. Uh, somebody's talking about how, and you can see some of these on the comment side, but if you got a question, please put it in the Q&A so we can follow that. Um, you know, the, uh, Becky here says that I've been able to spend so much time, more time with the Lord and I don't want to lose that. Uh, I, I totally agree. And that's not just about time, Becky, for me as well. I was just on the phone with somebody who was talking about how they've been reading in the minor prophets, which hasn't necessarily spoken to them before in the same way that it does now. There are parts of the Bible that are coming alive for us as his people. Um, and this person joked because they're like, what do you think God's saying now? And he's like, I think God's saying the same thing that he's always been saying. I just think we finally have the ears to hear. I think we're paying attention in a whole new way that where we haven't been able to pay attention before. We got someone here uh, also saying that they can't bring themselves to say that they're happier with all the sadness of them, but I am more peaceful and having prayed and I will never be the person I was before uh, this pandemic and God has and use, will use this for good. Well, certainly I agree that um, in that distinction and you know, sometimes when we say, you know, I'm, I, you know, if I say how you're doing and they're like, you know, I'm, I'm actually happier than I was before. Sometimes people, uh, we don't want to parse words. We want to just be able to take that and the generosity of what that person is experiencing. Got another comment here um, on the daily devotional with Barry and uh, a question here about is stuff like that going to continue as we go into the future? There's certain things that we're going to continue and then there's certain things we'll evaluate and maybe some of it as we get to the summer season that we'll stop. We're getting a lot of questions about, are we gonna continue kind of our online worship? We had an online presence before, but it was radically different than it is now. I mean, we're preparing a whole service to kind of come through the lens of the camera. Whereas before it was, hey, we'll let you oversee what's happening in our sanctuary. And so we're really praying and discerning and thinking through what our what are going to be the highest and best use of all the time and the energy and the resources that we have to try to, to minister to you? Here's what I do know. So I don't know in specifics, like, is the Barry devotional going to continue? Here's what I do know. I do know this genie's not going back in the bottle. I know for sure that 
that we will never do ministry the same way again, that there's going to be things that we have kind of added to the quiver of arrows of what we've got in life and in ministry. And so, so yeah, I think we're learning a lot from these times. I've got something in the Q&A that probably should be in the chat. It's coming from my sister. So my sister, shout out to you. She's online and a uh, true story about the Mount of Cereal Rich ate as a kid. Um, I just can't deny it. My a funny little story is my mom said that when I was like four um, on a Saturday, if she didn't want me to interrupt her, that she would put on the bottom level of the fridge, a little like creamer container of milk and the first bowl of cereal already made with the spoon and stuff right there that way because i've always been an early riser i would get up and i would at least get my first bowl of cereal in me so i wouldn't immediately go to mom and dad's room and wake them up early on a saturday morning and be like hey hey poke 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 can i have some cereal um so that's certainly been uh you know a part of my childhood and uh for those cereal lovers out there, you just got to rise up in a moment like this. All right, uh, we've got uh, Dan's asking a question to all panelists. Again, put the questions in the Q&A because we've got some more to handle there. And um, this is, how has your prayer life changed during this time? And what parts of the Bible have you been drawn to in uh, your devotional time? Well, um, I'm reading currently the Bible in one year as a part of my devotional. And it contrasts, you know, kind of a reading of a gospel reading or a New Testament reading rather. And then, but we're in the gospel still right now. And then an Old Testament reading and then a, a wisdom literature reading or a psalm. And I would say by far and away, the part of the Bible that has come alive for me in whole new ways has been the Psalms. Uh, if, if you're out there and you're wondering where to start, the book of Psalms is the prayer book of Jesus. And these were the prayers that he knew by heart. It was the prayer when he was hanging on the cross and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was relying on the prayers of the Psalms. Um, and so if that prayer book is good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. And so there have been phrases and certain Psalms that have just come alive in whole new ways. Um, it gives us our prayer language. And I think here's the biggest important things. So many of the Psalms are about lament. They teach us how to grieve. They teach you. So in this topic today of like, I feel like I'm doing well, even though um, I know this is a really hard time. It enables you when you're feeling one thing uh, to be able to pray in the other way. It gives voice to your prayers. So even when you're sad and you're grieving, uh, you'll read a psalm like Psalm 100, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth, worship the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful songs. And as you do that, it's giving voice to something where your emotions are not your God, but that God becomes your God. And so that those, uh, the language of the psalms enables us to have a fullness into our prayer life, a richness into our prayer life. And, and, um, uh, all right, so we got a couple of uh, another question. Uh, we've got somebody asking a very serious theological question here. They want to know about the three discs that are behind me right here. This is a really important thing. There's a woman in our congregation by the name of Betty Williams, and she has the spiritual gift of decoration. And I have no idea where she got these discs, but she would come into my office when we were decorating the office upon my arrival here. And she would be like, oh, 
I went to the store and I found this thing and do you like it? And it's always brilliant. Like it's just, she has this incredible eye for things and it makes no sense to me, but once she puts it on the wall, it's really cool. So I'm grateful to have somebody who's a volunteer in the church who helped to, to decorate uh, my office here at the congregation. Um, got a question here about with children's sports and school and adult schedules, church commitments and more, uh, we'll have to make some radical changes in order to see this message to slow down. I wonder if the church will make any changes to our schedule and encourage a slower pace. The answer to that is yes. Uh, the simplification and the focus of what we've got to do at Peachtree um, is, is a clear message for us. We want to minister to the whole person, which is part of what's great about all the different activities of Peachtree. But at the same time, we do want to be a part of slowing down and prioritizing. And one of the things that I would always say, and I think, um, and I said it in one form earlier, I said more activity does not equal spiritual growth. Just because the church offers it doesn't mean that you have to do it. I'm really serious about that. You ought to pick a couple of key activities. For us, before we got into this, that was behold, belong, become. We want you to worship with us. We want you to be a part of a belonging community where people know you and you know them and you're celebrated and you celebrate others. And then we also want to talk about um, the most undeveloped part of our spiritual journey, which is becoming on a journey. Do you have a mentor? Do you have somebody in your life who can guide and shape you? And are you mentoring somebody else in your life? Are you helping to come alongside? The greatest moments of spiritual transformation for me have not been in larger gatherings. They have been when an individual who deeply cared about me came alongside me, put their arm around me figuratively as well as literally at times and said, follow me as I follow Christ. And I think that is where the rubber really hits the road because when you get to that level of transparency and vulnerability in sharing with a person, when you're willing to ask the dumb questions that you wouldn't be willing to ask in a public forum or a classroom of, you know, uh, what happens when you pray, those types of things, um, that's how we really grow. And it's always modeled and as they say, it's caught far more than it's taught in the sense of that you see it and you catch it. And so really encourage, you know, if you, one of, the, one of the most important things you could do in the spiritual life is see someone who you see that's further along in the journey and say, can I follow you for a little while? Will you have some time with me and help me to grow in my relationship with God? And we're going to program that a little more in the church as we get to it. Um, and make that a little more systematic so it doesn't happen just, you know, a little bit here and a little bit there. We have some efforts when it, like in men's and women's ministry with uh, mentoring initiatives, but we want that to be, um, we want that to be something that's a part of this. Listen, we're going to take one more question before we close out uh, with our time and, and pray today. Um, this is coming in from somebody anonymously. Uh, Rich, has this been challenging to your marriage as it has been for so many and what advice would you give to struggling marriages? Um, two things. One, I have found this to be a very polarizing effect on marriages. Not just, um, so let me talk broadly and then answer the question for me. The, the polarizing thing has been if, if you had a healthy marriage, probably the time together has been a real gift. If your marriage was on fragile footing, this has been a real challenge to your marriage. 
And so I think it's, uh, it's a feast or famine kind of experience. There's very few people that I've talked to um, for whom the question that you're asking here is neutral. It really is sink or swim. And so uh, for, for Kelly and me, we were talking about this not that long ago that, that we, we really found that we were running too hard, but our marriage was lodged in a good place. And that I would say, I can't speak for her, but I would say that the last two months have actually been more peaceful for us than they were even beforehand. Um, and we're trying to figure out how can we maintain some of that closeness and connection um, for us that we tend to lose when we run around like chickens with our head cut off. And, um, and then the advice that I would have is actually the perfect tee up for next week's Grace Habits. We're going to have with us Todd Sandell, who's the founder of LifeGate. And we're going to talk about relationships and families in the midst of the struggle of those relationships and what's some advice, what can we do? So rather than specifically answering the question now, we're going to dedicate a whole Grace Moments to that. And so we're going to just kind of let that like a like a cliffhanger for a TV show. It's the end of the season and you have to wait for the new season to come to find out what, what happens. All right, so we're kind of past our time by just a few moments. I'm gonna say a prayer. So glad to have you all with us and let's pray together. God, thank you for the promise of peace that comes from stopping and prioritizing and savoring. Help us to be like Mary who, who knew in the midst of the chaos of the the birth of Jesus and all the emotions and challenges that was there that she, she learned how to, to treasure and to ponder in her heart. And so we thank you for her example and particularly for the other examples this week as we lead up to Mother's Day for moms who, who teach us to care for our souls and to, to learn in, in new and uh, bold ways with regards to our faith. Lord, I pray for anybody who has experienced little bright spots of joy in the season. And as things start to get busier and there's more traffic on the roads and more demands put on our schedules, help us to not lose some of what you've given to us as a gift that you've made us to lie down in a green pasture for a season. And so God, help us to not just to discover it, but to claim it and to hold fast to it. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, everybody, great being with you this week. Looking forward to seeing you next time. And we're going to have Todd Sendell with us. We're talking about relationships and family and all those dynamics. So have a fantastic week. We'll see you soon.